Section five of Stories by Foreign Authors Russian Authors This is a Librivox recording. All Librivox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit Librivox.org. Recording by K Hand Stories by Foreign Authors Russian Authors by Various An Old Acquaintance by Leof N. Tolstoy, translated by N. H. Dole, Part One. Our division had been out in the field. The work in hand was accomplished. We had cut a way through the forest, and each day we were expecting from headquarters orders for our return to the fort. Our division of field pieces was stationed at the top of a steep mountain crest, which was terminated by the swift mountain river Mechik. And had to command the plain that stretched before us here and there on this picturesque plain out of the reach of gunshot now and then especially at evening groups of mounted mountaineers showed themselves attracted by curiosity to ride up and view the russian camp the evening was clear mild and fresh as it is apt to be in december in the caucasus the sun was setting behind the steep chain of the mountains at the left and threw rosy rays upon the tents scattered over the slope upon the soldiers moving about and upon our two guns which seemed to crane their necks as they rested motionless on the earthwork two paces from us the infantry picket stationed on the knoll at the left stood in perfect silhouette against the light of the sunset no less distinct were the stack of muskets the form of the sentry the groups of soldiers and the smoke of the smouldering campfire at the right and left of the slope on the black sodden earth the tents gleamed white and behind the tents black stood the bare trunks of the platain forest which rang with the incessant sound of axes the crackling of the bonfires and the crashing of the trees as they fell under the axes the bluish smoke arose from tobacco pipes on all sides and vanished in the transparent blue of the frosty sky by the tents and on the lower ground around the arms rushed the cossacks dragoons and artillerists with great galloping and snorting of horses as they returned from getting water it began to freeze all sounds were heard with extraordinary distinctness and one could see an immense distance across the plain through the clear rare atmosphere the groups of the enemy their curiosity at seeing the soldiers satisfied quietly galloped off across the fields still yellow with the golden corn stubble toward their owls or villages which were visible beyond the forest with the tall posts of the cemeteries and the smoke rising in the air our tent was pitched not far from the guns on a place high and dry from which we had a remarkably extended view near the tent on a cleared space around the battery itself we had our games of skittles or chushki the obliging soldiers had made for us rustic benches and tables on account of all these amusements the artillery officers our comrades and a few infantrymen liked to gather of an evening around our battery and the place came to be called the club as the evening was fine the best players had come and we were amusing ourselves with skittles Ensign D, Lieutenant O, and myself had played two games in succession, and to the common satisfaction and amusement of all the spectators, officers, soldiers, and servants, who were watching us from their tents, we had twice carried the winning party on our backs from one end of the ground to the other. 
especially droll was the situation of the huge fat captain s who puffing and smiling good-naturedly with legs dragging on the ground rode pickaback on the feeble little lieutenant o when it grew somewhat later the servants brought three glasses of tea for the six men of us and not a spoon and we who had finished our game came to the plated settees there was standing near them a small bow-legged man a stranger to us in a sheepskin jacket and a popka or circassian cap with a long overhanging white crown as soon as we came near where he stood he took a few irresolute steps and put on his cap and several times he seemed to make up his mind to come and meet us and then stopped again but after deciding probably that it was impossible to remain irresolute the stranger took off his cap and going in a circuit around us approached captain s ah guscantellini how is it old man said s still smiling good-naturedly under the influence of his ride guscantini as s called him instantly replaced his cap and made a motion as though to thrust his hands into the pockets of his jacket but on the side toward me there was no pocket in the jacket and his small red hand fell into an awkward position i felt a strong desire to make out who this man was was he a yunker or a degraded officer and not realizing that my gaze that is the gaze of a strange officer disconcerted him i continued to stare at his dress and appearance i judged that he was about thirty his small round gray eyes had a sleepy expression and at the same time gazed calmly out from under the dirty white lambskin of his cap which hung down over his face his thick irregular nose standing out between his sunken cheeks gave evidence of emaciation that was the result of illness and not natural his restless lips barely covered by a sparse soft whitish mustache were constantly changing their shape as though they were trying to assume now one expression now another but all these expressions seemed to be endless and his face retained one predominating expression of timidity and fright around his thin neck where the veins stood out was tied a green woolen scarf tucked into his jacket his fur jacket or polishbok was worn bare short and had dog fur sewed on the collar and on the false pockets the trousers were checkered of ash-gray color and his sapogi had short unblacked military bootlegs i beg of you do not disturb yourself said i when he for the second time timidly glancing at me had taken off his cap he bowed to me with an expression of gratitude replaced his hat and drawing from his pocket a dirty chintz tobacco pouch with lacings began to roll a cigarette i myself had not been long a younker an elderly younker and as i was incapable as yet of being good-naturedly serviceable to my younger comrades and without means i knew well all the moral difficulties of this situation for a proud man no longer young and i sympathized with all men who found themselves in such a situation and i endeavored to make clear to myself their character and rank and the tendencies of their intellectual peculiarities in order to judge of the degree of their moral sufferings this younker or degraded officer judging by his restless eyes and that intentionally constant variation of expression which i noticed in him was a man very far from stupid and extremely egotistical and therefore much to be pitied captain s invited us to play another game of skittles with the stakes to consist not only of the usual pick-a-back ride of the winning party but also of a few bottles of red wine rum sugar cinnamon and cloves for the mulled wine which that winter on account of the cold 
was greatly popular in our division guscantini as s again called him was also invited to take part but before the game began the man struggling between gratification because he had been invited and a certain timidity drew captain s aside and began to say something in a whisper the good-natured captain punched him in the ribs with his big fat hand and replied loud enough to be heard not at all old fellow i assure you when the game was over and that side in which the stranger whose rank was so low had taken part had come out winners and it fell to his lot to ride on one of our officers ensign d the ensign grew red in the face he went to the little divan and offered the stranger a cigarette by way of a compromise while they were ordering the mulled wine and in the steward's tent were heard assiduous preparations on the part of nikita who had sent an orderly for cinnamon and cloves and the shadow of his back was alternately lengthening and shortening on the dingy sides of the tent we men seven in all sat around on the benches and while we took turns in drinking tea from the three glasses and gazed out over the plain which was now beginning to glow in the twilight we talked and laughed over the various incidents of the game the stranger in the fur jacket took no share in the conversation obstinately refused to drink the tea which i several times offered him and as he sat there on the ground in tartar fashion occupied himself in making cigarettes of fine cut tobacco and smoking them one after another evidently not so much for his own satisfaction as to give himself the appearance of a man with something to do when it was remarked that the summons to return was expected on the morrow and that there might be an engagement he lifted himself on his knees and addressing captain b only said that he had been at the adjutant's and had himself written the order for the return on the next day we all said nothing while he was speaking and notwithstanding the fact that he was so bashful we begged him to repeat this most interesting piece of news he repeated what he had said adding only that he had been staying at the adjutant's since he made it his home there when the order came look here old fellow if you are not telling us false i shall have to go to my company and give some orders for tomorrow said captain s no why it may be i am sure stammered the stranger but suddenly stopped and apparently feeling himself affronted contracted his brows and muttering something between his teeth again began to roll a cigarette but the fine-cut tobacco in his chintz pouch began to show signs of giving out and he asked s to lend him a little cigarette we kept on for a considerable time with that monotonous military chatter which everyone who has ever been on an expedition will appreciate all of us with one and the same expression complaining of the dullness and length of the expedition in one and the same fashion sitting in judgment on our superiors and all of us likewise as we had done many times before praising one comrade pitying another wondering how much this one had gained how much that one had lost and so on and so on here fellows this adjutant of ours is completely broken up said captain s at headquarters he was everlastingly on the winning side no matter whom he sat down with he'd rake in everything but now for two months past he has been losing all the time the present expedition hasn't been lucky for him i think he has got away with two thousand silver roubles and five hundred roubles worth of articles the carpet that he wore at mukin's nikitin's pistols sada's gold watch which voronsov gave him he has lost it all the truth of the matter in his case said lieutenant o was that he used to cheat everybody it was impossible to play with him he cheated everyone 
but now it's all gone up in his pipe and here captain s laughed good-naturedly our friend guskoff here lives with him he hasn't quite lost him yet that's so isn't it old fellow guskoff tried to laugh it was a melancholy sickly laugh which completely changed the expression of his countenance till this moment it had seemed to me that i had seen and known this man before and besides the name of guskoff by which captain s called him was familiar to me but how and when i had seen and known him i actually could not remember yes said guskoff incessantly putting his hand to his moustaches but instantly dropping it again without touching them pavel dmitrievich's luck has been against him in this expedition such a vin de malheur he added in a careful but pure french pronunciation again giving me to think that i had seen him and seen him often somewhere i know pavel dmitrievich very well he has great confidence in me he proceeded to say he and i are old friends that is he is fond of me he explained evidently fearing that it might be taken as presumption for him to claim old friendship with the adjutant pavel dmitrievich plays admirably but now strange as it may seem it's all up with him he is just about perfectly ruined la chance a tourne he added addressing himself particularly to me at first we had listened to guskoff with condescending attention but as soon as he made use of that second french phrase we all involuntarily turned from him i have played with him a thousand times and we agreed then that it was strange said lieutenant o with peculiar emphasis on the word strange i never once won a rouble from him why was it when i used to win of others pavel dmitrievich plays admirably i have known him for a long time said i in fact i had known the adjutant for several years more than once i had seen him in the full swing of a game surrounded by officers and i had remarked his handsome rather gloomy and always passionless calm face his deliberate malo russian pronunciation his handsome belongings and horses his bold manly figure and above all his skill and self-restraint in carrying on the game accurately and agreeably more than once i am sorry to say as i looked at his plump white hands with a diamond ring on the index finger passing out one card after another i grew angry with that ring with his white hands with the whole of the adjutant's person and evil thoughts on his account arose in my mind but as i afterwards reconsidered the matter coolly i persuaded myself that he played more skillfully than all with whom he happened to play the more so because as i heard his general observations concerning the game how one ought not to back out when one had laid the smallest stake how one ought not to leave off in certain cases as the first rule for honest men and so forth and so forth it was evident that he was always on the winning side merely from the fact that he played more sagaciously and coolly than the rest of us and now it seemed that this self-reliant careful player had been stripped not only of his money but of his effects which marks the lowest depths of loss for an officer he always had devilish good luck with me said lieutenant o i made a vow never to play with him again what a marvel you are old fellow said s nodding at me and addressing o you lost three hundred silver roubles that's what you lost to him more than that said the lieutenant savagely and now you have come to your senses it is rather late in the day old man for the rest of us have known for a long time that he was the cheat of the regiment said s with difficulty restraining his laughter and feeling very well satisfied with his fabrication here is guskoff right here he fixes his cards for him 
That's the reason of the friendship between them, old man. And Captain S., shaking all over, burst out into such a hearty ha-ha-ha that he spilt the glass of mulled wine which he was holding in his hand. On Guskoff's pale emaciated face there showed something like a color. He opened his mouth several times, raised his hands to his mustaches, and once more dropped them to his side where the pocket should have been, stood up, and then sat down again, and finally, in an unnatural voice, said to S., it's no joke, Nikolai Ivanovitch, for you to say such things before people who don't know me and who see me in this unlined jacket, because— His voice failed him, and again his small red hands with their dirty nails went from his jacket to his face, touching his mustache, his hair, his nose, rubbing his eyes, or needlessly scratching his cheek. As to saying that, everybody knows it, old fellow, continued S., thoroughly satisfied with his jest, and not heeding Guskoff's complaint. Guskoff was still trying to say something, and placing the palm of his right hand on his left knee in a most unnatural position, and gazing at S., he had an appearance of smiling contemptuously. No, I said to myself, as I noticed that smile of his, I have not only seen him, but have spoken with him somewhere. You and I have met somewhere, said I to him, when, under the influence of the common silence, S.'s laughter began to calm down. Guskov's mobile face suddenly lighted up, and his eyes, for the first time, with a truly joyous expression, rested upon me. Why, I recognized you immediately, he replied in French. In forty-eight, I had the pleasure of meeting you quite frequently in Moscow at my sister's. I had to apologize for not recognizing him at first in that costume and in that new garb. He arose, came to me, and with his moist hand irresolutely and weakly seized my hand, and sat down by me. Instead of looking at me, though he apparently seemed glad to see me, he gazed with an expression of unfriendly bravado at the officers. Either because I recognized in him a man whom I had met a few years before in a dress coat in a parlor, or because he was suddenly raised in his own opinion by the fact of being recognized, at all events it seemed to me that his face and even his motions completely changed they now expressed lively intelligence a childish self-satisfaction in the consciousness of such intelligence and a certain contemptuous indifference so that i confess notwithstanding the pitiable position in which he found himself my old acquaintance did not so much excite sympathy in me as it did a sort of unfavorable sentiment i now vividly remembered our first meeting in 1848, while I was staying at Moscow, I frequently went to the house of Ivashin, who, from childhood, had been an old friend of mine. His wife was an agreeable hostess, a charming woman, as everybody said, but she never pleased me. The winter that I knew her, she often spoke with hardly concealed pride of her brother, who had shortly before completed his course, and promised to be one of the most fashionable and popular young men in the best society of Petersburg. As I knew by reputation the father of the Guskoffs, who was very rich and had a distinguished position, and as I knew also the sister's ways, I felt some prejudice against meeting the young man. On the evening when I was at Ivashin's, I saw a short, thoroughly pleasant-looking young man in a black coat, white vest, and necktie. My host hastened to make me acquainted with him. The young man, evidently dressed for a ball, with his cap in his hand, was standing before Ivashin, and was eagerly but politely arguing with him about a common friend of ours, who had distinguished himself at the time of the Hungarian campaign. 
he said that this acquaintance was not at all a hero or a man born for war as was said of him but was simply a clever and cultivated man i recollect i took part in the argument against guskoff and went to the extreme of declaring also that intellect and cultivation always bore an inverse relation to bravery and i recollect how guskoff pleasantly and cleverly pointed out to me that bravery was necessarily the result of intellect and a decided degree of development a statement which i who considered myself an intellectual and cultivated man could not in my heart of hearts agree with i recollect that towards the close of our conversation madame ivashina introduced me to her brother and he with a condescending smile offered me his little hand on which he had not yet had time to draw his kid gloves and weakly and irresolutely pressed my hand as he did now though i had been prejudiced against guskoff i could not help granting that he was in the right and agreeing with his sister that he was really a clever and agreeable young man who ought to have great success in society he was extraordinarily neat beautifully dressed and fresh and had affectedly modest manners and a thoroughly youthful almost childish appearance on account of which you could not help excusing his expression of self-sufficiency though it modified the impression of his mightiness caused by his intellectual face and especially his smile it is said that he had great success that winter with the high-born ladies of moscow as i saw him at his sister's i could only infer how far this was true by the feelings of pleasure and contentment constantly excited in me by his youthful appearance and by his sometimes indiscreet anecdotes he and i met half a dozen times and talked a good deal or rather he talked a good deal and i listened he spoke for the most part in french always with a good accent very fluently and ornately and he had the skill of drawing others gently and politely into the conversation as a general thing he behaved toward all and toward me in a somewhat supercilious manner and i felt that he was perfectly right in this way of treating people i always feel that way in regard to men who are firmly convinced that they ought to treat me superciliously and who are comparative strangers to me now as he sat with me and gave me his hand i keenly recalled in him that same old haughtiness of expression and it seemed to me that he did not properly appreciate his position of official inferiority as in the presence of the officers he asked me what i had been doing in all that time and how i happened to be there in spite of the fact that i invariably made my replies in russian he kept putting his questions in french expressing himself as before in remarkably correct language about himself he said fluently that after his unhappy wretched story what the story was i did not know and he did not yet tell me he had been three months under arrest and then had been sent to the caucasus to the north regiment and now had been serving three years as a soldier in that regiment you would not believe he said to me in french how much i have to suffer in these regiments from the society of the officers still it is a pleasure to me that i used to know the adjutant of whom we were just speaking he is a good man it's a fact he remarked condescendingly i live with him and that's something of a relief for me yes my dear the days fly by but they aren't all alike he added and suddenly hesitated reddened and stood up as he caught sight of the adjutant himself coming toward us it is such a pleasure to meet such a man as you said guskoff to me in a whisper as he turned from me i should like very very much to have a long talk with you 
I said that I should be very happy to talk with him, but in reality I confess that Guskov excited in me a sort of dull pity that was not akin to sympathy. I had a presentiment that I should feel a constraint in a private conversation with him, but still I was anxious to learn from him several things, and above all why it was, when his father had been so rich, that he was in poverty, as was evident by his dress and appearance. The adjutant greeted us all, including Guskov, and sat down by me in the seat which the cashiered officer had just vacated. Pavel Dmitrievich, who had always been calm and leisurely, a genuine gambler, and a man of means, was now very different from what he had been in the flowery days of his success. He seemed to be in haste to go somewhere, kept constantly glancing at everybody, and it was not five minutes before he proposed to Lieutenant O., who had sworn off from playing, to set up a small faro bank. Lieutenant O. refused, under the pretext of having to attend to his duties, but in reality because, as he knew that the adjutant had few possessions and little money left, he did not feel himself justified in risking his three hundred roubles against a hundred or even less, which the adjutant might stake. "'Well, Pavel Dmitrievich said the lieutenant, anxious to avoid a repetition of the invitation, is it true what they tell us that we return tomorrow i don't know replied the adjutant orders came to be in readiness but if it's true then you'd better play a game i would wager my kabarda cloak no today already it's a gray one never been worn but if you prefer play for money how is that yes but i should be willing pray don't think that said lieutenant o answering the implied suspicion but as there may be a raid or some movement, I must go to bed early. The adjutant stood up and, thrusting his hands into his pockets, started to go across the grounds. His face assumed its ordinary expression of coldness and pride, which I admired in him. "'Won't you have a glass of mulled wine?' I asked him. "'That might be acceptable,' and he came back to me, but Guskov politely took the glass from me and handed it to the adjutant, striving at the same time not to look at him. But as he did not notice the tent rope, he stumbled over it and fell on his hand, dropping the glass. "'What a blungler!' exclaimed the adjutant, still holding out his hand for the glass. Everybody burst out laughing, not excepting Guskov, who was rubbing his hand on his sore knee, which he had somehow struck as he fell. "'That's the way the bear waited on the hermit,' continued the adjutant. "'It's the way he waits on me every day. He has pulled up all the tent pins. He's always tripping up.' Guskov, not hearing him, apologized to us, and glanced toward me with a smile of almost noticeable melancholy, as though saying that I alone could understand him. He was pitiable to see, but the adjutant, his protector, seemed, on that very account, to be severe on his messmate, and did not try to put him at his ease. "'Well, you're a graceful lad. Where did you think you were going?' "'Well, who can help tripping over these pins, Pavel Dmitrievich?' said Guskov. "'You tripped over them yourself the other day.' I, old man, I am not of the rank and file, and such gracefulness is not expected of me. He can be lazy, said Captain S., keeping the ball rolling, but low-rank men have to make their legs fly. Ill-timed jest, said Guskov, almost in a whisper, and casting down his eyes. The adjutant was evidently vexed with his messmate. He listened with inquisitive attention to every word that he said. "'He'll have to be sent out into ambuscade again,' said he, addressing S., and pointing to the cashiered officer. "'Well, there'll be some more tears,' said S., laughing. Guskov no longer looked at me, but acted as though he were going to take some tobacco from his pouch, though there had been none there for some time. "'Get ready for the ambuscade, old man,' said S., 
addressing him with shouts of laughter. Today the scouts have brought the news. There'll be an attack on the camp tonight, so it's necessary to designate the trusty lads. Guskov's face showed a fleeting smile as though he were preparing to make some reply, but several times he cast a supplicating look at S. "'Well, you know I have been, and I'm ready to go again if I am sent,' he said hastily. "'Then you'll be sent.' "'Well, I'll go. Isn't that all right?' "'Yes. As at Arguna, you deserted the ambuscade and threw away your gun,' said the adjutant, and turning from him he began to tell us the orders for the next day. As a matter of fact, we expected from the enemy a cannonade of the camp that night, and the next day some sort of diversion. While we were still chatting about various subjects of general interest, the adjutant, as though from a sudden and unexpected impulse, proposed to Lieutenant O to have a little game. The lieutenant most unexpectedly consented, and, together with S and the ensign, they went off to the adjutant's tent, where there was a folding green table with cards on it. The captain, the commander of our division, went to our tent to sleep the other gentlemen also separated and guskov and i were left alone i was not mistaken it was really very uncomfortable for me to have a tete-a-tete -tete with him i arose involuntarily and began to promenade up and down on the battery guskov walked in silence by my side hastily and awkwardly wheeling around so as not to delay or incommode me do i not annoy you he asked in a soft mournful voice so far as i could see his face in the dim light it seemed to me deeply thoughtful and melancholy not at all i replied but as he did not immediately begin to speak and as i did not know what to say to him we walked in silence a considerably long time End of section five.